So I started going to this convenience store that was close to the house and it was on the regular and I like to get a Mountain Dew every day and that was the start of my day. And this man that was running the store as a manager started addressing me as sir and he was making it very, very obvious that he was trying to address me as sir or call me a man when Obviously, that's not the case. And so I asked him, why are you calling me sir? Why are you addressing me as a man? And he said, well, you have short hair and you wear a hat. You want to be a man. I said, but I don't want to be a man. Just because I have short hair and wear a hat, there are plenty of women that do the same on the regular. And it wasn't a great way to start my day because it affected me inside and emotionally and it just kind of hurt. And so I stopped going there. But then one day, I, it, that was the place where I needed to stop. And there was now a different woman in there, and she was very kind. And we had the short chit-chat of the weather and whatever. And, and so I started going back in there on the regular basis and talking with her. And there were a couple of times when he was in there as well. And he wouldn't address me, but he would pay attention to what she was saying to me. We always ended it with, have a great day and be safe. And there was a time then again where she wasn't there and he was and I was able to say those things to him and he repeated them back to me without addressing me as sir, without calling me out as a man. And it was just a much better situation. It felt better, it was kinder, it was easier, it was just, it, it made for a better day. And I mean, I've dealt with this for years and years of my life since coming out that I've been called a man and been called sir. But as I've gotten older, I don't snap back and, and try to make a situation out of nothing. I just hope that people will be kind and people are becoming more and more aware of how easy it is to be happy and to just love each other. And that's my hope is that we won't have to deal with these kinds of issues anymore, and it'll just be love and happiness. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, we could just, like, receive the offering and go home, <laughs> right? Like, that was awesome. Thank you, Leanne, for sharing your campfire story with us, uh, which really, at the end of the day, is what it's all about, right? Uh, what does it mean to live in a world that is grounded in love and happiness for everyone? My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest today, thank you so much for being with us. You know, Leanne's campfire story is really kind of a story about being attacked for being different, right? She would walk in, and in this person's mind, she was different, right? We might not say she was different. She certainly wouldn't say she was different. But in this person's mind, and there was like this attack on her, Right? And I, I love it because I feel like her story that she shared really addresses this idea of like, will she be a person of integrity in that moment? Like, like as she feels the weight of this attack, will she like stand firm in the integrity of who she believes she is? Right? And to do that in a way that's love. And see, integrity, like she, she stood for the integrity of her personhood, right? In that moment. That was what was so beautiful about the story is like, this is who I am. And she speaks up in kindness and gentleness, but doesn't just let it go. She says, okay, this is my personhood. And integrity is interesting because integrity factors into kind of multiple areas of our personhood, right? This idea of how strong we are, how consistent we are. 
So like the first area is like we have integrity of our personality. Like how many of you all know somebody who like one day they, they like this and then the next day they don't like this? And it might change, and that might be you, right? Like you're around a group of people, and they're saying, hey, what movie do you want to go see? And you hate Marvel movies. But they're like, let's go see the new Thor Love and Thunder. And you're like, yes, I love the Marvel movies. But you hate it, right? But in that moment, you give up on what you like or don't like because you want to go with the flow or whatever it might be, right? So your personhood, the things you like, the things you don't like, we can have integrity around that, right? We can have integrity around our beliefs. Sometimes that can be tough, like, what do we believe? Somebody, somebody, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were giving me a hard time because whenever I will like, generally start talking about the Bible up here, I'll usually give my little speech right, on what the Bible is, what it isn't, in case you're new to Bible study. And they're like, Ryan, you're like one belt hole away from the Bible belt buckle of the country. Everybody knows, you know? And they, would, like, they could quote the spiel, you know what I mean? But the truth is, when you live in kind of a space that has a high percentage of folks that go to church, that doesn't mean that we share common beliefs even within our own like religious background. So sometimes it can be really challenging to sit in a space with people you might work with or people in your neighborhood and you all go to different churches and like how do you hold the integrity of what you believe in the midst of it, right? How do you hold that you believe about God, love, scripture, these types of things? Maybe as you've kind of had your faith evolve, and maybe at one point you believed very similar to somebody who was next to you, but now maybe it's a little different. Do we like speak up? Do we hold our integrity in that moment? Or do we just kind of go with the flow, right? So it's a question that that's another space where integrity sits into our personhood. And finally, what we oftentimes think of is integrity of our actions and our words, right? Do our words and our actions line up? Are we all talk or, or are we just like, saying things that, you know, we want to do, like, yes, I will help you move, and then we don't show up to move, which I showed up yesterday, and it was hot. It was hot. I didn't want to. I didn't want to, Laura, but we did. They came out. Lots of people stayed longer than I did. I wimped out on you, but, right? Are we the type of person, when we make a commitment, do we follow through? Do we say yes or no? And by the way, don't ask me to help you move if you're not in my small group, okay? That's a privilege of the small group, all right? That is not in my job description, okay? I know some of you were immediately like, oh, our pastor will help me move. No, I will not. I just want to be very clear about my integrity on that one. You're in my small group, I'll do it. You want to help people help you move in this church, get in a small group with a bunch of people, right? And I would say, like, if you think you're going to move in the next year or two, start now, right? Get into a group this fall. Don't wait, right? Because then it's obvious you just joined the group for moving help. Don't do that. That's not being a person of integrity, you know. Here's the thing, integrity, right, or the lack of integrity in any area of our life will get us noticed, right? You know those people that, like, they're all talk and no show, right? Can you trust them? Absolutely not, right? You, you don't trust that they'll follow through on the things that they say. You don't trust that they'll be there for you. You don't trust that they'll stand up for you in a moment of injustice, right? A, a person that lacks integrity, do you value their wisdom? Probably not. Like if you've seen a person go back and forth and not stay true to themselves, not stay true to what they believe or what they hold to, you're going to have a tough time saying, oh, this person is, is a source of wisdom in my life. So Daniel chapter 6, our campfire story, right? This story that maybe many of you have heard because you live so close to the belt buckle of America. I don't know, you know. 
right? This story about this guy who was thrown into a den of lions offers us some inspiration. It offers us some timeless wisdom on this subject of our integrity, right? And so that's what we want to do. We want to take a few moments today and explore this story. If you have kids, they're exploring it as well in a way that's appropriate for them. And I just want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, um, I gave like this very riveting, very, very riveting introduction to where this literature kind of came to existence. I mean, you should have seen people. They were leaning in on the edge of their seat as we shared for about five to ten minutes, like the history behind it. I mean, it was unbelievable. People were spiritually salivating. More, Ryan. Give me more history and background. Not exactly the case. But we did talk about where this literature comes from, and we said it's important that we get that. And I talked a little bit about the time frame that this literature represented and the stories came from, but also when they were told, when they were created, why they were created. We talked about this guy named Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who was a brutal ruler uh, and, uh, with, the, with the Seleucids. And, and we talked about how these stories gave hope to a persecuted people. So I'd encourage you to just go, maybe go back and watch the music in that 10 minutes of the message from last week if you want to, right? So we need to remember that as we talk about this because we're still here in Daniel. As we ask the question, what wisdom does Daniel chapter 6 offer us? We should always recognize that this literature has a place in history. It had a purpose for when it was written. And as people of faith, we bring our faith to say this still has something to say to us. Our spiritual ancestors tell us that. So Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 29, we're going to look at the whole chapter today. Shouldn't take us more than an hour and a half, all right? So we actually have a snack break later on, just like the kids do. No, no. So here we go. Let's jump in here. Here's what it says. It says, Darius, who was the king at the time, they had, the Persians had come, or the Medes, actually, this is what it was saying, even though we know historically there was no Mede empire in between the Persians and the, or the Babylonians and the Persians, but that's for another day, all right? So Darius the king, he comes and he decides to appoint over his entire kingdom 120 satraps. So he takes 120 leaders and he, and he divides up the kingdom. And over these 120, there were three kind of prime ministers. There were three vice presidents, one of whom was Daniel. Now, Daniel was an exiled Jewish young man, but at this point in time, he's probably about 75 years old, right? Because he's been in Babylon for the whole of the Babylonian rule. Now Darius has come and taken over according to the text. And so he's probably about 75 years old when this happens. Most of us have these images, if you grew up in church, of Daniel being about 24 years old, thrown into the lion's den. But really the timeline would put him at about 75, smart enough to know to shut the drapes. You know what I'm saying? But we'll get to that later. Okay, so here's, what, that's a little church humor for some of you. No, I'm sorry. All right, so it says, these 120 were accountable to the three ministers, and one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps reported to them, so the king should not suffer loss, right? So the whole role was for they were to keep order in the kingdom. Now, Daniel, it says, outshined all the ministers. Now, if you're Jewish, you're certainly going to write that, right? <laughs> like this Jewish exile who was like nobody in the kingdom. He outshines all the ministers and satraps because an extraordinary spirit was in him. I love that language. An extraordinary spirit was in him. And the king considered setting him over the entire kingdom. So you have this story, like there's this consideration because of his attitude that he was going to become number two in command. If you know the story of Joseph, this kind of harkens on that type of a tale, right? And so what happens in the story is that this extraordinary attitude of Daniel's attracts attention, right? So like when you think of like that spirit that he had. That's like overly like Bible words, right? It's an attitude. He had a good attitude about him, 
right? He poured himself into it. He was trustworthy, right? And so the king notices this attitude as extraordinary, and he wants to promote him. He wants to elevate him. But here's the deal. The ministers and the satraps, they did not like that. So they tried to find grounds for accusation against Daniel regarding the kingdom. So they wanted to find some space that he had acted corruptly. They wanted to find some space where he had, he had taken, where he had misused his power. But they could not accuse him, the text says, of any corruption. Why? Because he was trustworthy. No fault or corruption was to be found in him. Right? That's integrity. You see, integrity marked Daniel's attitude. This extraordinary spirit that Daniel had in him was a spirit of integrity when it came to his work. And they tried and they tried and they couldn't find it. And what is integrity? It was this idea that he was trustworthy and incorruptible. And how many of you all know, I know it's hard to imagine in our current cultural context in our country, but power tends to corrupt people. I don't know if you've ever read anything about that. It's kind of hard. If you Googled corruption in politics, you'd probably not get any articles, you know. It'd be really tough. You'd have to dig in there, you know, really dig in to find an example of power. Like in the church, you would never, ever find an article about a church leader being corrupted by power. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't happen in our day, right? But back in Daniel's day, it did happen, right? No, we know that, right? But he was trustworthy and incorruptible, And so these men, they said to themselves, we can't find any grounds for accusations against this joker Daniel, except in connection with the law of his God. So they start to scheme against him. And it's important that we recognize in this story what it's telling us is that integrity for Daniel, it brought him promotion, like somebody noticed it, but it also brought persecution. Because there were people who didn't have integrity. There were people who were looking for ways to get rid of him. And so he starts to face this persecution. So it says that the ministers and the satraps, so that's 122 people, storm into the king. They all storm in. And they say to him, King Darius, live forever. Now, this word stormed is fascinating because it really has this idea of, in the sense of swarming. Like, think of a swarm of bees, right? An angry hornet's nest, right? And they all come swarming in. And it's this great picture that misery loves company. Nobody wants to see Daniel succeed. So they come in. They come in with their hurt egos. They come in not knowing what to do, and they're scheming, and they're ready to attack Daniel. And so it says, they say this to the king, all the ministers of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and governors, we all agree that the following prohibition ought to be put in force by royal decree. Now, before we get to the decree, we should know that right away they're lying. Like, Daniel was not consulted on this one. (laughs) So they say, everybody agrees, king. But Daniel was never talked to about it. Daniel certainly wasn't brought in. Daniel wasn't there, right? Interestingly enough, the king doesn't notice, like, hey, where's Dan at? I feel like he should be in on this conversation, right? But he was just caught up. So their lack of integrity, all these leaders can be seen right now. And these are folks that can't be trusted. They start off with a lie. So here's what they say. We think we should issue this royal decree that says, for 30 days, whoever makes a petition to anyone, divine or human, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, let this prohibition be issued over your signature, immutable and irrevocable, according to the laws of the Medes and Persians. So King Darius liked this. This was good for his ego. Not again, not that people in leadership ever have ego problems. That's, you know, it just happens every now and then. But he liked what he was hearing. So he said, okay, great. So he signs it into law. And ultimately, what was motivating all of these leaders was jealousy. 
And here's the thing about jealousy, right? Jealousy wants something to die. Like, ultimately, that's what happened. Like, they wanted Daniel's leadership to die. They actually wanted Daniel to die. But in our lives, it's the same as true. When jealousy sets in, we want something that someone else has, which requires the death of something, death of a relationship, right? A, a misfortune in someone else's life, perhaps. We don't think of it that way, but that's what happens. And so here's what it says. here's what basically is happening. Rather than learning from Daniel, right? Rather than the opportunity to say, here's a guy who's excelling. Here's a guy who has integrity. Here's a guy who is trustworthy. So much so the king has noticed. Rather than learn from Daniel, they just want to get rid of him. And that's what jealousy ultimately will take us to. They just want a promotion through the process of elimination, right? If we get rid of him, then everybody goes up. So it says this, even after Daniel had heard that this law had been signed, He continued his custom of going home to kneel in prayer and give thanks to his God in the upper chamber three times a day with the windows open towards Jerusalem. So what Daniel does here is an act of civil disobedience, but it's fascinating to me that he just does it by continuing his usual practice. He just just goes about what he knows is true to who he is. He doesn't go and, and do anything different. He doesn't go and, and, and start screaming at the king. He doesn't go and tell everybody how terrible they are. He doesn't create a brand new blog. He just continues in his practice that's in violation of the law. And like I said earlier, like I probably would have just shut the drapes. You know, like, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, why flaunt it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just me. I don't know. You all are probably better, you know, Jesus followers than me. But I'd be like, hey, Jesus, I'll talk to you in 30 days. <laughs> Right? I'd be like, this isn't worth it, you know. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, so 30 days from now, we'll pick this back up, you know. But not Daniel, right? Because here's the thing. For Daniel, in his mind, in his heart, and I think what the text is saying is Jerusalem is a key reality. Like, for Daniel, Jerusalem represented the ultimate victory of God. Jerusalem was not just this tourist destination. Jerusalem was the space that represented God will one day overcome. And so rather than living in what for him was the oppression of a, of a foreign empire, his heart and his mind and his hope was in Jerusalem, a space that he believed would one day be a center of the rule of God. And so when he would look, it was a space of hope. It was a space of victory, right? And so Jerusalem, my phone's ringing. Who is calling me right now? Oh, it's, you don't want to know who it is? No, this is sweet as can be. So Carol Pretty is one of our volunteers, and she has a grandson who gets her phone. And, like, he'll text me, and he has Down syndrome. He's super sweet, so he was FaceTiming me just then. <laughs> you, you know what the funny thing is? Like, this is, I, I have ADD, so deal with it. Um, like, I was back there getting ready to come out, and I was like, I wonder if my phone's on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> it is now. Okay. Right? So for Daniel, right, when he looks to Jerusalem, he's saying he's putting his hope in something other than his reality. He's putting his belief. So to turn towards Jerusalem was to turn away from Babylon. Right? To turn his face towards Jerusalem was to say, my hope is not going to be found in what's happening right here, but in what I believe God will do ultimately in the redemption of the world. So he was daily acknowledging, saying, my hope is not in this world or its leaders, but my hope is in the God of Israel. That's what he was doing. Now, I want it to be noted that while Daniel held held deep hope in this restoration of God in the world, that did not 
that it did not in any way say that he should disengage from the work, right? I mean, Daniel is deeply engaged. He has functioned highly in the political scheme of the, of the Babylonians, and now he's doing it again. I'm not lying to you. There we go. I did put it on do not disturb, but if we go three times through, it's going to come through. I don't know what's happening in my life right now. It's so funny, right? So here's the thing. Daniel doesn't just sit back and go, oh, well, one day God's going to take care of everything, right? He's engaged. He's bringing his faith. He's bringing his hope. He's bringing his integrity to the table, functioning in leadership, working towards his understanding of justice in the world, working towards making the Persian empire a better, more just place. I have to believe that. So he's not just sitting back praying and fasting and sitting up in his room. He's working at it. All right, so the text says they, they storm in, right? So Daniel's up there praying. He opens up the drapes as he always would so he could turn his face to Jerusalem. By the way, he wasn't just being arrogant. He was, that was an important principle for him, right? So all of a sudden, all the men, 120 of them, they storm back in and they find David praying and pleading before his God. Ha! Gotcha! And so they ran to remind the king of the prohibition. King, I just have a question. I just don't remember did, did you sign that or not? I don't know. Uh, did you not sign a decree, O king, that's, that was for 30 days? Nobody should make, prohibition, make a petition to anybody. I just, whether it was divine or human, except to you. I mean, I just, and, and they were going to be cast into the lion's den, right? That's what was supposed to happen. I just don't remember. Did you ever sign that? The king says to them, oh, yeah, the decree is absolute, irrevocable, under the law of the Medes and Persians. Like, you can't go back on it. And so to this, they replied, Oh, king, this is, this is really hard to say. It's kind of embarrassing. I mean, we know you like Daniel. I mean, one of those, you know, Jewish exiles. I mean, he's, but he's paid no attention to you. He's just ignoring you, O king. And that prohibition that you signed, just completely ignored it. And three times a day, he offers up his prayer. Now, they didn't have email back then, right? There is the opportunity to think that maybe Daniel didn't know about this, that this, this edict that was put out, but probably not. He probably knew about it. Everybody knows about it. They said, oh, this. so the king, it says, was greatly grieved at this news and genuinely was because he tried to make up his mind to save Daniel. This is an interesting part of the story. So he works until sunset to rescue him, but the men kept pressing the king saying, keep in mind, O king, that under the law of the Medes and the Persians, every royal prohibition or decree is irrevocable. Sorry. And the king is trying and trying and trying, and he can't come up with a way out. And so the king orders Daniel to be brought and cast into the lion's den. And so to Daniel, he says this, your God, whom you serve so constantly, must save you. I can do nothing. See, the most powerful person, the most powerful in Daniel's world was unable and powerless to rescue him. And that's an important principle. That's part of the story that the writers, the authors, probably this group of people that were living in Jerusalem fighting against the program of Antiochus, they're saying, listen, at the end of the day, Antiochus and his followers, they're powerless to rescue. Only God can rescue you. And then it says to, to forestall any other tampering, the king sealed with his own ring and the rings of the lords, the stone that had been brought to block the opening of the den. And so the king returns to his palace for the night. The quintessential example of privilege. 
he just goes back to his palace. And he refuses to eat, and he dismisses the entertainers. Notice the king doesn't go stay by the, by the den. He doesn't stand up. So he just, he just soaks back into his privilege and doesn't even recognize it. But that's for another message to offend a whole other group of people, all right? <laughs> he said the word privilege. Okay. So since sleep was impossible for him, the king rose very early the next morning and he runs out to the lion's den. As he draws near, he cries out to Daniel. The word is sorrowfully. He cries out sorrowfully because he knew that Daniel's blood would be on his hands, that this man who had served so well with integrity, it was on him that he had been tricked. And he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve so constantly, been able to save you from the lion's? Now, if I were Daniel, I would pause for effect. I'd make him sweat it out. I'd be like, I'd be like trying to get the lions to roar. <laughs> Daniel, has the God that you serve so constantly, has this God been able to rescue you from me, from the lions, from the deception? O king, Daniel cries out. This is interesting. He says, O king, live forever. He's, isn't that crazy? I don't think I would have said that. I'd have been like, O king, you son of, I will, when I get out of here, we are going to have a conversation. What does he say? He says, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel and closed the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. He says, for I have been found innocent before God, neither have I done you any harm. I've acted with integrity. I've acted with integrity. And so this gave the king great joy, the text says. And at his order, Daniel was brought up from the den, and he was found to be unharmed because he trusted in his God. And now the story takes a dark turn, as is most likely to happen with stories that come to us from a very, very distant time. It says, then the king ordered the men. Now, now, this is the 120 plus the two ministers, right? The 122 that had accused Daniel, along with their children and their wives, to be cast into the lion's den. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Yay! So let's just talk about that for one second, okay? Let's just honor that, first of all, this is a story that is meant to teach us lessons, and the story comes to us from a very different space and time. It comes to us before Jesus, and we can say that the author has not yet learned everything God has to teach about divine justice at this time. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, we recognize this is not divine justice. This is not who or what God is, that we see the judgment of God very differently. Now, for us, truth be told, we love the end of the story. We're like, yeah, I got him. That's what you get. The bad guys get it. We love a good revenge story, right? Let's just be honest. Let's own that. But here's the thing, like celebrating that and saying, oh, this is, the, this is God's word. This was God's plan. This is what God wanted to do. It would be to celebrate the death of as many as 500 people, most of which were women and children who had nothing to do with this. So we ought to recognize the point of this and what's happening, again, in the writing of this story, when it's being passed down, when it's being told as a time of deep persecution, where people are seeing their friends, their families murdered, killed, martyred. 
And so the authors are saying, hey, God's going to get them in the end. And that's a very human reality. And at just the right time, Jesus came and showed us that the way in which we handle hatred, the way in which we handle violence, the way in which we handle accusations is to bear our cross and return that in love. That's, so, so I just want us to like honor, this is in our sacred text, a pretty violent reality, but we don't have to say that's God because we read the text through the lens of Jesus and through the work of Jesus, okay? And it's funny, like the people knew this was a problem because like we have lots of different versions that come to us from antiquity and we have this version that's called the Septuagint, which is a Greek version. And the Greek version like softens it. The Greek version makes it very clear. Oh, it's just the two ministers and their families, right? So this has been a problem for a long time for people who like are seeing through the lens of Jesus, right? Because Jesus reveals that, that like the judgment of God, Jesus reveals that Love is the lion's den of God's judgment. Like what God throws us into is love. That's divine justice. And, and some of us receive that love as a space of safety in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of problems. And some of us receive that love as something that devours us. But love is that, that act. Love is that reality, according to Jesus, that will one day produce this this idea that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that is not through the sword, that is not through violence, but that is through a continual redemptive act of love over and over and over again. Love is the lion's den of God's justice. So King Darius writes to all the nations, right? This is how all these stories end. People of every language, wherever they dwell on earth, may your peace abound. And he says, I decree that throughout my royal domain, the God of Daniel is to be reverenced and feared. Again, let's just make a law, make everybody worship God the way we want to. This works out really well, okay? For he is the living God, enduring forever, whose kingdom shall not be destroyed, whose dominion shall, not be, shall be without end, a savior and a deliverer, working signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who saved Daniel from the lion's power. So this is the song, and the authors want their audience to know this. Those that are being persecuted by Antiochus, this is the song of those attacked for their integrity. This is the song. God is our Savior and Deliverer. God will. It's actually a call to nonviolence in a very interesting way because the folks that were kind of leading this underground revolt against Antiochus, they were a nonviolent group. God is the Deliverer. And the story finishes, so Daniel fared well during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Right? The idea is under foreign rule, under foreign oppression, hold your integrity, hold steadfast, and God will be with you. God will rescue you. But here's what I don't think we want to miss in this story for us today, is that our integrity is worth a trip to the lion's den. Our integrity is worth a trip to the lion's den. I think that's where this story holds a lot of power for us, is to say what we believe and understand and hold true of ourselves and our personhood, our beliefs, our values, like having integrity in that is worth a trip to the lion's den. And that Jesus-centered integrity is an integrity of our love, a love that says, I will never not love you. That's the example that Jesus says, that love is the powerful force in the universe, expanding everything, changing and shaping us. It's not an integrity of your religious practices necessarily. That's what I was raised with. Oh, let's read the story of Daniel. And so you need to go to church and you need to wear your Christian t-shirt and you need to do all these things, do all these things. But what Jesus reveals to us is, no, the thing that is most worthy of being thrown into the lion's den is what? Is love. Like let the world attack you for your love. Bear that cross. That's the cross that we're called to bear. 
is one of love. An integrity of loving yourself as you've been made in the image of God. An integrity of loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God. What's interesting about this story is it is a foreshadowing. It has lots of, if you're paying attention, right, it sounds a lot like Jesus' own trip to the lion's den. He has rulers of a foreign nation. He has the conspiring religious leaders. He's thrown into his death. He's put into a tomb, and he comes out and conquers death, hell, and the grave. So as we live this story out in our lives, three quick questions for you to pause and consider over the next week. Three questions that I think if we'll ask ourselves, if we'll bring in prayer and just kind of a time of meditation, they can help shape us, right? So the first question is this, where is jealousy creeping into your attitude? Now, I know you all want to be Daniel in the story. I get it. But we got to hold this reality, like we said last week, like we're the powerful ones these days. So where is jealousy creeping in? Where are we looking at others? And, and this jealousy is like starting to kind of emerge. We want what they have. We desire what they have. And I want to encourage you, if that's the case, find somebody you trust and just confess that to them. Just confess it. You know what I have to do sometimes? Not sometimes. I have to do this all the time. Uh, is when something really good happens to another person in my profession, like a pastor, right? And they start posting, you know, how many baptisms? They start posting how many people go to their church or whatever it might be. Like there's something inside of me that's like, oh, I just wish they would fail. I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. Or worse yet, when something bad happens to somebody in my profession that like everything seems to be going great, like, like by all the numbers, and something bad happens, then I'm like, yes. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, why do I go to church here? This guy is messed <laughs> up. But I just have to have people in my life that I confess that to, that I say, oh, whoa, I read that, and like I saw this, and that's in me, and I don't want that to be there. And, and I just have to say it out loud so that it doesn't fester. So that's, I think it's good for us. So if you find somebody like jealous, oh, they've got a boat, and I want their boat, or they've got their house, or their car, or their promotion, like just find somebody you love and say, I just have to, I have to say this out loud so it doesn't have any power in my life. That's the power of confession, by the way. It removes its power in our lives, right? If giving breaks the power of greed, confession breaks the power of these internal dialogues that we have that hold us captive. The Bible calls it the power of sin, right? Confession does that. It's not about, oh, I'm such a terrible person. That's not, and look at, whoa, I'm a horrible, God doesn't love me. That's all bad religion, unhealthy spirituality, right? But now I'm rambling. Okay, so next question. Have you disengaged from your present work because of your future hope. Well, this one is hurtful right here. This one is challenging, right? Can you hold a hope for God's work in the future? Maybe even you're a person who holds in this ultimate redemptive work of God, like a momentary space where God just makes everything right. I, I'm, like, I think there's a spectrum on that. I don't live in that, spe that space, but maybe you do. That's okay. Can you hold that belief with the tension that God has caused, called you and pushed you into the darkest spaces of this planet to be hope and life and light like Daniel, right? Have you disengaged because of your future? Well, God will get it. Like this place is just going to hell in a handbasket. What am I supposed to do? Now I'm being hyperbole, right? But we have a tendency to do that. We can get so overwhelmed and we can get disengaged and we just look for God to take care of it in the future. And I don't think that's really what scripture reveals nor what the spirit of God is doing in our world. 
So it's a good question for me. Have I disengaged from an area of injustice? Have I disengaged from a pain, a hurt? Because I just go, it's just too big. Like, God will take care of it later. I think the story of Daniel tells us, no, no, no. Like, get to number two in the land, <laughs> right? Do your thing, but always open the drapes and pray to Jerusalem. Metaphorically speaking, you don't have to pray to Jerusalem. That's not what I'm saying, right? But always you keep this eye on the future, a hope that God has and God will continue to, in some way, bring restoration to restore all things, but I'm called right now to push that forward, that I want my life to be lived towards that so that at the end of my days I can say, I pushed that kingdom of God forward, a kingdom of love, of justice, of joy, right? That's what I want to do. Daniel was deeply engaged, and we should be as well. And then here's the last question. What song will you sing when you're attacked for being different? What song will you sing? Whether it's because of your beliefs, your personhood, whether it's your, your industry that you work in, whether it's uh, your family, whether it's your sexuality, whether it's your gender identity. When someone says you're different and someone attacks you, like what happens with, in, our, in our campfire story today with Leanne, like what song will you sing? Will it be the song of Daniel, right? A song of faith that's sung in love, a song that is sung in forgiveness, that God is my Savior, that I can hold my integrity, that I can respond to this hatred with love? Or will it be a song of anger, a song that's sung in hate, a song that's sung in violence? And we can find all the Bible verses for that one too, by the way. But which one will it be? Which one does Jesus call us to sing? And I think it's the song of Daniel, that God is my redeemer, God is my savior. God is working in present. And I always like to ask the question as we wrap up, how does this make me a better person, the world a better place, the Bible way of saying this is, how does this bring glory to God? <laughs> I, I think what happens is when we function in the integrity of love that Jesus reveals, like, it just makes us trustworthy and incorruptible in a world filled with deceit and corruption. And it's a shame when the people of God mirror and model the same deceit and corruption in the world. But there's an integrity of love that Jesus calls us to that says, I have no business excluding. I have no business judging. I have no business calling anyone an outsider. That we swim in a grace. We swim in freedom. And when we do that and we let that be our wisdom factor, I've got to decide how to respond to this person. I've got to decide what to work. I've got to decide. To say, so I, I function with the integrity of radical love for everyone everything. And I become this person that people can trust. And that's what I want to be. So do me a favor, grab your connect card there uh, that you have, grab your offering envelope. We're going to wrap up here and we got this song, God is Able. And while the band plays this song, I want to encourage you to just take a few moments and kind of finish up, right? Maybe fill out that connect card. If there's any next steps, maybe Maybe you've decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you just kind of made that decision over the course of time and you've heard about baptism and you say, I want to get baptized as my next step in my spiritual journey. Jesus encouraged us to follow his footsteps. I get it, it's kind of weird, but it's a powerful symbol of what God is doing in our lives. So maybe that's you. You want to learn more about that. You check that box. I want to encourage you, if you know, when I started talking about jealousy, something inside of you was like, where's the bathroom? I need to leave, right? Right? <laughs> I don't want to hear this, la, 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 la. 
Like, just make that commitment. Check the box. We're not going to follow. But there's something powerful about checking a box, saying, you know, this week I'm going to talk to somebody who I can trust my jealousies to, who will just encourage me. They won't judge me. They'll just hold it. They'll hold it with me. They'll hold it with me. And I want to encourage you. Maybe that's, that's something God's inviting you into. Maybe. Maybe God's calling you to get active in, a, in peacemaking right now in this world. Right? Maybe God's saying, hey, you can't sit on the bench and wait for my at-bat. <laughs> We're all in this. So maybe there's an area, one of our unacceptables that we talk about, that there's just something in your heart that says, I got to get involved. And just open up your spirit to God guiding and directing you. So as we listen to this song, you can close your eyes, sit, enjoy it, finish filling out that connect card, get your offering envelope filled out, ready to go. In a few minutes, our room hosts will come by, and if you're at a table, they'll receive the offering and the connect cards out of the baskets. If you're on the side, they'll pass the basket. If you're in the bleachers, I just encourage you on your way out, drop those connect cards, your offering envelope in the orange kiosk. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being here today. So let's sing this song, and I'll come with our blessing for the week.